So I love that these uh, sort of transition points in the church calendar to always pause and, and remind us where we're at. Uh, so right now we're, we're coming off of the seasons of Advent and of Christmas. Uh, Advent is that, that great season of, of darkness and, and where we, we take account of the darkness in the world and also in our own hearts. And we, uh, actually a theme verse from Advent would be that, that verse from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64 in which he cries out and he says, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And then during Christmas, we see the answer to that prayer, and we feast and celebrate for, for 12 days. And I trust that all of you had hearty feasting every single one of those 12 days of Christmas. Uh, we started every one of the 12 days of Christmas with a hearty breakfast in our household. It was a, it was a tremendous uh, way to start off. I'm judging from the silence that maybe that's not the practice of everyone in the room. No, okay, all right, we'll plan for next year, celebrate all the 12 days of Christmas. So right now we're standing in the season of Epiphany. The word Epiphany means illumination. And this is a time in which we see the, the light of Christ's gospel spreading forth across the globe. This is a, a season of experiencing his warmth and his illumination and celebrating the fact that it wasn't hidden away for just one nation, but that it's for all the nations. That uh, if you're like me, you're a Gentile, and I praise the Lord for that, that, that his good news is for people like us. Praise the Lord. Well, this is also uh, a season in which on the first Sunday after Epiphany, uh, usually we commemorate, we celebrate, and ponder the baptism of Jesus Christ. Did you hear the answer to Isaiah's plea in that reading from Mark's gospel this morning? Let me repeat some of those words. When Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and then a voice came down from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Do you hear the answer to Isaiah's despair, the prophet's despair, our own despair? Jesus comes down, God himself, the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, tears open the heavens and comes down and dwells among us, who walks with us, who ministers to us, who teaches us his wisdom and points us to ways of wisdom and love and truth and grace. And through all of this, what God is doing is, is calling humanity back to himself, back into health, freedom, and wholeness. So Epiphany marks this, this inbreaking, this launch pad of God's mission into all of the world. This is why we also hear words from the Apostle Peter saying, this is good news for everyone, that God shows no partiality. So like I said, we're gonna be looking at Jesus' baptism today. Uh, we're also gonna be doing baptisms today here at Restoration. So we did four in the first service, four in this service. Uh, so I'm gonna to try to preach quickly and, and concisely today <laughs> because there's a lot of baptisms. So in Christianity, baptism itself has many benefits to it. Uh, we could talk all morning long about all the multitude of, of benefits that baptism has. And one of them is that as, uh, for those of us who've gone through the waters of baptism, we receive the assurance of sins forgiven. It's stated as a fact. Jesus authorizes the church to state these spiritual realities that God forgives sin. Now, if that's the only benefit that the church emphasizes, when we read stories about Jesus' baptism, it can be very confusing to us because Jesus is born with no sin, so why should he be baptized? In fact, we see this kind of confusion on, uh, uh, from John the Baptist himself. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes to John and John says, hey, wh what are you doing? I, I should be baptized by you. 
why should I baptize you? And do you remember what Jesus' response is? He says, you should baptize me in order to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus is fulfilling all of those expectations of the Old Testament, all of those promises and, and prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus is fulfilling that. He is the righteous one as he enters into the waters of baptism. But this isn't just a matter of kind of uh, checking off a list and being like, okay, I did that Messiah thing, now I can move on to the next, you know, what, what's the next Bible verse that gives me something to do? Let's do that. That's not it. What Jesus is doing here is he's entering into the story and he's taking upon himself the identity of Israel, the people of God. Through Noah, the people of God were baptized uh, in the flood. Through Moses, the people of God were baptized in the Red Sea. Through Joshua, the people of God were baptized in the River Jordan. And in each of these instances, immediately afterwards, the people of God fail, just like us, right? Noah, in his drunkenness and debauchery, immediately fails. The people of God under, under Moses, by their grumbling in the wilderness, they fail. The people of God under Joshua, they enter into the wilderness, uh, or they enter into the promised land, I'm sorry, enter into the promised land and immediately start pursuing foreign gods and fail. But Jesus is baptized and he remains righteous. If we were to turn the page and look at the story after Jesus' baptism, do you remember what that is? It's the temptations, right? There, Satan himself comes before Jesus and hurls these temptations before him. And, and Jesus doesn't succumb to the lies of the devil. He's, not, he's tempted by them, but he doesn't, he doesn't cave in. He doesn't fall to them, right? Jesus is the faithful son. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the most perfect and beautiful human being that there ever was. And when the Son of God dwell, takes on flesh and walks among us, he takes upon himself the story, the identity of Israel and not just Israel, but of all of us. He takes our humanity upon himself and remains righteous. But there's more than this. In the ancient world, water represents chaos. And beneath that water, I, I spoke about this last year. Do, do you remember kind of the, the imagery of, of the Eastern Orthodox Church that I talked about? Whenever they, they, they depict the baptism of Jesus in iconography, G, you see Jesus standing in the water. And do you remember what's under his feet? Serpents, sea gods, river gods. And what they do is they, they represent the chaos of this world. You see, in the ancient world, the sea is the, is the place of danger. It's the place of chaos. It's, it's where those serpents come up and, and they're unpredictable and they, they claim our lives and they tempt us and they, they wreck our ships. Uh, they take our goods, right? And so what does Jesus do? Not only does he clothe himself in flesh, but he, he goes to those places of chaos, he descends into the water itself, and he, the son of Eve, crushes the head of Satan himself there in the baptism. And it doesn't consume him, does it? It doesn't take him all the way under, does it? Psalm 29 verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. He does not get consumed by the water. He's not stained by our brokenness, is he? He's not crushed by, by our burdens that we have. He's, he's the faithful one. He's the beautiful one. He's the righteous one. And in fact, the righteousness and the beauty of Christ is bigger and mightier than all the chaos and the brokenness of this world. 
And that is a really, really big deal. His righteousness is bigger than all of the chaos and sin of this world. Now, this is where it gets fun. That's already fun. I like talking about serpents. If you're here on Christmas, you, you know that. So if God, through Jesus, is taking our humanity upon himself, then through the mystery and the faith that, that he gives us, through his gift of, of faith that he gives us, we are also incorporated into the divinity of God. I mean, it almost seems blasphemous to say things like this, but because of faith, we are brought into, we get to participate in the fellowship and community and goodness of God. That same sort of voice that boomed down from heaven, we ourselves get to hear as well, proclaimed over us. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. That is what what God says over you through faith, through the gift of faith, as we are incorporated into his body. And so what does that mean? That means that your failure is replaced with the obedience of Christ. Your brokenness is replaced by the beauty of Christ. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. You get to experience healing and restoration by the power of Christ because of his obedience. That's what this this mystery of faith is that we proclaim. What great love this is. How beautiful this is that we get to participate in God himself. And friends, baptism is just the beginning of this. It's just the beginning of the story. It's the beginning of Jesus' story. It's the beginning of our story. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Christian tradition that kind of taught like that baptism was kind of the climax of it all. But really, it's, it's just the launch pad. It's, it's the starting point. So last week, someone asked me uh, why we have a baptismal font there in the, in the back of the sanctuary. Jeff, can I call you out? It was you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't think you'd care. <laughs> but it, it was a fun conversation. Um, and it, yeah, it, it was a great conversation. And I think, you know, someday it'd be fun to actually practice our baptisms uh, or to hold our baptisms back there. Uh, a lot of sacramental churches, that's what they do. Um, but for practical reasons, I, I like that the chancel is elevated here and, and you all can see clearly the baptisms that happen. Um, I like that. But there's a reason why there's a baptismal font at the entrance of the sanctuary. So at the beginning of the service, uh, someone, the crucifer, carries in that cross, right? And what they do is they, they represent the presence of Christ coming in before us. He's the first mover. He, he is the one who initiates this whole thing. He moves in. And what's the first piece of furniture that he passes by? It's the baptismal font. He or she, I'm saying, whoever's carrying the cross, uh, again, representing the presence of Christ. They, they carry it in and they, hover, they go over the waters. Do you remember when Jesus says, I am the way, follow me? So that's what he's doing. He's coming through the waters. Jesus, the presence of Christ, is, is moving us through, through baptism and, and is inviting us. And as someone who follows Jesus, it's been blessed. Uh, you know, what, what I do is I make the sign of the cross on myself, not, not as a, uh, superstition or good luck charm, but as, as a bo- embodied prayer. Uh, as C.S. Lewis says, we pray with our minds, why not pray with our bodies as well? We lift up our hands in prayer, uh, we, we kneel in prayer, uh, so certainly we can mark ourselves by the sign of, cro- of Christ himself uh, who bore a cross on our behalf. And I usually pray something very simple, and, and I know that there's prescribed prayers that you can pray. Um, usually I just pray some kind of childlike prayers, such as, you know, God, it's only by your grace 
that I enter in, or Lord, I'm, I'm clothed by your righteousness, or Lord, remind me of, the, of, of my baptism, that I belong to you, that I've been claimed by you, because this is the beginning. This is the, the starting point of, of the way, of, of following after Jesus. And do you see what you step into after you pass through the waters? You're ushered into, you're, you're welcomed into the assembly of God's redeemed, the gathering, the family of God, those who celebrate the, the grace and the love of God himself. So let's hop to Acts for a second. So there again, Peter says, God shows no partiality. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Anyone who's received that, that gift of faith and has been called into the household of God gets to come and be with him. This good news of Jesus Christ it, it, the good news of Jesus Christ is that, is that through him, God washes us, he, he saves us, he rescues us, he restores us, and that's for everyone. That's for all of us. And so that means that this community is not defined by our ethnicity, but rather it's defined by the incarnational, sacrificial, sovereign love of God. And so when you are baptized, you are brought into this family you're given brothers and sisters to, to help carry your burdens with, who you get to share your faith with, that you get to bear testimony of ways in which God is at work in your life. But also we're nourished by God. We're, we're fed by the words of God and we get to experience the grace of God through, through his living word, through the holy scriptures. And then we get to, to consume the grace of God through the table in which we consume the presence of God in us, working in us. We're actually participating in table fellowship with God himself. What a delight, what a treasure, what an honor. Can you believe that we get to feast with God himself? Thank God for the waters of baptism which wash us, which, which cleanse us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of God's great, powerful love. So if your Christian experience, though, is, is limited by these four walls, is limited by what goes on here, well then you're also missing out on some pretty big things. You're missing out on, on the mission and the, and the purpose of God. In fact, I think that if your Christian experience is limited to Sunday mornings, you're setting yourself up to be, to be shipwrecked by the waves of this world because Sunday worship is not enough to sustain you in following the way of Jesus. So last week we had Testimony Sunday where in place of a sermon we asked people, we asked you to, to come forward to, to share testimonies of ways in which God has been at work in your life over this last year. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the whole year. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's a delight. And some people write things down beforehand and some people hop up spontaneously at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's always exciting as well. Uh, but it's just a great moving time. One woman shared about a, a kind conversation that she had after church one Sunday. And because of that conversation, she had a renewed direction of stability and hope in her life. Several of you shared about issues related to infertility or issues of adoption or uh, uh, fostering kids. And you talked about how the people in your table group, that's our small group ministry, how people in your table group or, or Christian mentors or other friends in your life were able to come around you in those, those rattling times and, and bolster you and, and hold you up. They were pillars of faith so that when your faith was being stretched and questioned and, and rattled, you were able to lean on the faith of those around you. Some of you gave testimony to the power of prayer and how you cried out in desperation to God and he reminded you of old dreams that you had. 
and he reminded you to continue pursuing those things. And then he put people in your life to help you in that journey. My point is that you need the community. You need the household of God. And if, if, you're, if your Christian experience is only here on Sunday mornings, you're missing out on, on so much more that, that God has for you. Other brothers and sisters who you can lean on, who you can do life with, who you can experience faith with, that you can be challenged and, and encouraged in your pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. Praise the Lord. So my point is that, friends, we are the baptized redeemed family of God. We get to crush chaos under our feet. What an adventure. What an exciting thing to do, to be incorporated into the divinity of Christ and to be called into his mission alongside brothers and sisters because he is the one who's gone before us into the chaos of this world. And more than that, he descends even to death itself into the tomb and even that can't contain him. Even that doesn't hold him down. He's victorious over death itself and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, beckoning us, calling us to come after him, to follow his way and experience fellowship with God. Because the love of God is mightier than your sin, brothers and sisters. The love of God is mightier and more truthful than any lie that Satan could throw your way. So by choosing to follow Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you are welcomed and brought into the abundant life with God and his family. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who goes before us and you have prepared a way for us to come and experience fellowship with you. Lord, you send us out in mission, Lord, to, to do the work that, that, that you do, Lord. What an honor, what a treat. I pray, Lord, that for, for every man, woman, and child, as we continue to grow in our, our, our walk with you, that you would help us to see you more clearly, that you would help us to, to shed the sin, Lord, that clings to us, Lord, by the power of your cross. Lord, I pray for those who are being baptized today. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith. Lord, I thank you for the family of God in which they can come and be partakers of you as well. Bless them mightily, Lord, this morning. It's in your name, Lord, and for the sake of your kingdom and, and for, for bringing more glory to you that we pray all of these things. Amen.